Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday and welcome back to the Freelance Friday podcast. Thank you so much for taking some time to spend with me today. And I'm very excited about today's guest as I always, always am. But this is the first interview that I've done in a while because I did take my hiatus between seasons two and three. And I'm super excited to be back with a splash with one of my favorite YouTube channels. Love in London, Just Dante, the creator, is here to talk about her strategy for taking her YouTube channel to the next level by building it into a full-on business. And she gave so many amazing insights, you guys. I cannot wait for you to listen to this episode. I honestly feel like I walked away learning so much. And she was just a very kind person as well. So I really enjoyed chatting with her. So as always, her links are going to be in the show notes. Please make sure to go ahead and give her a follow on YouTube, on Instagram. Go tell her hello and show her some love because she does really amazing things. And that's what this show is all about, is elevating people who are doing absolutely incredible things. But anyway, before I get into the interview, I wanted to take a couple of seconds just to read an iTunes review, which today, this review comes from Jessica. Jessica says, giving excellent, valuable content and very attentive with her audience. Thank you so much for that. Love the show. Thank you so much, Jessica, for being a part of the Freelance Friday podcast family. You can click on the show name and scroll down and leave me a review if you feel so inclined. And with that said, I don't want to delay anymore. Let's hop into the interview with Jess Nante. Welcome to the Freelance Friday podcast. My name is Latasha James and I'm your host. This podcast is a deep dive into the challenging, exciting, and oh so rewarding world of freelancing. From tips and advice to interviews with the people who are doing it right, this show is for anyone looking to get their hands a little bit dirty and make monetizing their passion a reality. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Freelance Friday podcast. Today, I am so excited to be joined by Jess Dante, who's the creator behind the YouTube channel and brand Love in London. I discovered Jess as I was researching for my first trip to London about a year ago, and since then, she's grown her brand to include things like photo tours and city guides and so much more. So I'm looking forward to learning more about what's to come next for you, and I know that you guys will learn a lot from Jess as well. So welcome, Jess, and thanks again for being on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So why don't we kick things off by just talking a little bit about what exactly love in London is all about and how you kind of got the idea to get started with it. So love in London, it started as a YouTube channel, but now it's a wider business and we help people to have the best trip to London when they're coming to visit. So you kind of covered it in the intro, um, on top of all the free content that we offer on YouTube and Instagram, um, and a few other places. 
I sell two digital travel guides and we also have a vacation photography service. So when people come, if they want some really beautiful photos taken of them in front of the major sites, then they can book that through us. Um, And that started, uh, I got started with it about three years ago and it just started just as me uploading weekly videos um, about London to my YouTube channel and it all just grew from there. That's so cool. So how did the idea to start YouTube happen? Like, why did you choose YouTube over like a blog or a podcast, or maybe a more traditional form of kind of content creation? I had blogged for a long time. Um, I lived in Florence for a year before I moved to London and I did some like personal blogging then. And then when I moved to London is when I actually started the website version of Love in London. Um, It was just about like my new life over here. And I wanted to do a bit more with that, but I kind of realized I wasn't really reading blogs anymore, but I was watching a ton of YouTube and I was like, really hooked into it, like very invested in the people I was subscribed to, woke up every morning and was watching certain creators to see what they uploaded for that day. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm not really reading blogs anymore, and I'm really loving YouTube, well, then why am I not on that platform instead? And I, I noticed that and I still totally I still totally subscribe to this, that you connect with somebody so much more through video than you do with written, written word, um, because they can, they can see you. So it almost feels like a conversation and they're like sat right in front of you. So I still, to this day, like totally believe that. And that's why video is still the number one uh, place that we produce content because it just brings so much more to that relationship than any other platform. Yeah, I totally agree. It's like there's nothing like looking into somebody's eyes that maybe sounds a little bit creepy, but like you you really get to know, you feel like you get to know somebody by actually seeing them and like learning just their little mannerisms and everything. It's almost like you're making a friend. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's a little harder to kind of get that personality from reading a blog, for me at least. I I totally agree with that. And also it's funny you said that about the eyes because there, I have read this like psychological thing that um, when you can see the whites of somebody's eyes in a video that like the connection is even greater because I guess, I I don't actually know why, I guess you're just close enough or I don't know if it's, you just feel, you feel, yeah, I guess you just feel closer to that person in terms of distance. But um, yeah, you're right. You don't have to imagine what this person's personality is in real life because it's, most likely coming across in their videos. Yeah, that's so cool. And then of course, we have no attention span anymore as a society. So um, (laughs) that's one thing that I really love about your videos too, is a lot of them are really short. Um, And so for me, it makes them really bingeable. Like I'm able to just like keep it going with your playlists. And you know, a lot of your videos are four minutes or six minutes. Um, So I find them really nice when, like I said, when I was researching, it was just quick hits and I didn't have to commit to like, okay, I got to watch the travel channel and watch an entire episode of something that's an hour long. Um, So I think it's a really great platform for you. Thank you. I think so too. (laughs) (laughs) So you've been creating YouTube content for, you said about three years. So how has your growth been? Did you notice like a huge spike in the beginning or was there a certain video that really kind of helped your channel take off or has it been kind of more of the slow, gradual um, growth? 
So I think there's a couple of things I should probably touch on here. So the in the beginning, what I originally did, I, I didn't solidify the niche of London right when I began YouTube. Um, and I'm like such a proponent for always getting as niche as possible now. But back then I was like, I don't know if I really want to like limit myself to just London, blah, blah, blah. Like I want to, it's so stupid that I thought that. But um, so what I did was I knew I wanted to do travel, but I wasn't sure exactly what. So I kind of tested a bunch of different types of content. So I did some packing videos. I did some general travel tips. I did some stuff about Europe. And then I did a couple of videos about London. And I noticed that the London videos, even though they were not very good, uh, performed a lot better than the rest of the other videos that I did. And one in particular, which is called 10 important things to know before you come to London was really, um, after a few weeks, really started to be suggested a lot uh, by YouTube. So it started to gain a lot of views and watch time. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. And it wasn't, it's like, especially now compared to my content now, it's like the worst video. I think a couple of things were wrong <laughs> in the video, like the information was wrong. But now that video has 1.2 million views on it. Oh, wow. And yeah, so I was like, okay, well, that's interesting that the London content is performing the best, which is also good because in terms of long-term for a business, doing London content, I mean, I plan to be here for quite a few years. So it it's quite easy for me to go out and get content as opposed to having to actually go travel to other places. So um, in terms of like costs and things like that, that could actually be built into a sustainable business. So um, I built off of that and uh, I've learned how to grow a YouTube channel. Um, and it's, I probably don't need to get, get into all of that right at the moment, but I just like really dug into what it takes to build a YouTube channel and to create successful YouTube videos. So you were talking about how my videos are like bingeable and short, and that is like totally on purpose. So I'm really glad to hear you say that because that is exactly what I want it to be. So like very top line, um, creating bingeable content is so helpful and being able to grow your views and your channel because you tell when people binge your videos, it tells YouTube that people are really liking your videos and it keeps them on the platform. So then YouTube's going to continue to be like, oh, you like Jess's video. So she has this other one we think you'll like. Oh, you finished that one. Why don't you watch this one and this one and this one? And it keeps them going. So YouTube rewards content creators who are doing that and, and, and um, encouraging people to binge watch. So super chuffed that you said that. <laughs> so that's yes, good. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was um, like from day one was always invested in, in trying to figure out what's the best way to optimize my videos and making sure that that continues to grow. And um, the the I guess the second thing that I would say really helped with growth of my channel was when I started to build an email list. Okay. And so, yeah. And I don't think this is talked about a ton in, it's kind of like, there's like the YouTubers who have like their own industry and then the content marketers that do focus a lot on building email lists, but there's not tons of overlap. I don't mm -hmm. know if you would, maybe you would agree with that, but totally um, agree with you. Right. Okay. So, which is crazy <laughs> because I, if I, I don't believe 
in like a one trick pony of like this one thing on my channel made it grow infinitely. But if I had to attribute one thing to the the success of my channel, it would be that I started an email list about a year into doing all of the content creation. And what was so great about that was the people who signed up to my email list were super dedicated to me because they were like the early adopters, the early people that were watching my videos before I had like a huge, not that I have a huge following now, but before like anyone else was finding me. Right. So they were pretty committed. So they would sign up to my email list. But the thing is, is not everybody goes on YouTube, like on the app or on the website all the time. So just because they're subscribed to your channel doesn't mean that they're going to know that you have a video out. So if you can get them onto your email list and then email them and tell them as soon as you have a new video that goes live and you send all these people to YouTube and get them to start a watch time session and get them like watching your new video and maybe a couple other ones, YouTube is like, whoa, that's cool. You brought all these people so we can show them more ads. So we're going to show more of your videos because like, that's really great that you did that. So it almost, it created like, kind of a snowball effect. And it was this like back and forth because the more that my videos, more that YouTube was like, sweet, thanks for doing that. We're going to push your videos more. The more that people signed up to my email list. And then it just kind of like kept going back and forth and back and forth. And that was a huge driver of growth for my channel in the first like two, two to two and a half years. Um, so that is like, that's my number one thing. If people are ever trying to grow a YouTube channel, like that is the thing that you need to be doing that you probably aren't. That is such a great tip. And I totally agree with you. You know, I had a blog back in the day and I work in content and social media marketing um, for my business. So I'm always pushing email lists, email lists, email lists. But you're totally right. People don't really do that on YouTube. It, it's very far and few between that you see people doing that. So I'm, I'm, I love that you said that. I think that's brilliant. And I think that's something that's relatively easy to start up too. Like if you already have content, you know, it's pretty easy to set up an email list and at least start building your list up. So how do you actually, how did you, when you, you know, when you were starting building up your email list, how did you start to build it up? What types of content were you sending out in those emails? So in the actual emails, I was just very simply would send out a, hey, um, here's my new video and this is why you should watch it. And then I had a link, like very simple. Still sometimes do it if it's a, depending on what type of video is going out that week, but not really as much anymore. But it was like super straightforward and um, it just got people to go and watch that and give it that first push in the first 24 hours, which I know you know is like incredibly important for YouTube. So it was like pretty basic. It wasn't anything too crazy. And how I got them onto my email list is I had a lead magnet. So the first lead magnet that I offered, I don't even have it anymore because it was very in a in a moment of weakness i wanted to branch out wanted to branch out from the london niche and was starting to make content like about europe in general so i had it was a guide about like how to something about europe I, i'm not even actually sure exactly what it was um so that was actually a really good it drove people onto my list for a few videos but then i created what's called the London 101 guide. And it's still, I still offer it now and I still talk about it in new videos, but it is essentially a guide for 
what people need to know before they get here um, if it's their first time to visit London. So it's a things like a 10 page PDF guide. And if they sign up to my email list, then they get that sent to them and they get all this really great free info. And that has been the number one driver of email signups to my list for the last couple of years. And are these basically like PDFs? Yes, PDF exactly. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, so you talked a lot about niching down and I think that is so important. Um, I love that you said that as well, but I know even for myself, that can be such a challenge because we're human. Like we have different interests. I'm sure you're interested in things beyond just the city of London. So how do you kind of keep yourself in check and make sure that you are really staying true to your niche? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I guess, I mean, at this point, I just know everything has to be about London. But I guess if I'm thinking back, like, for example, when I was talking about that moment of weakness uh, and I was doing more YouTube type of content, um, I think I always like try to keep in mind who I'm making a video for or making a blog post for. And I find that when I'm thinking too broadly, I struggle to um, define who the person is that I'm trying to make this for. And also I struggle to give narrow information. So if I'm trying to like help too many people, then it's hard for me to actually give good information. But if I'm stay quite niche, then I know, okay, well, this person's coming to London and they're American. So they're definitely like going to be coming from the US. So they're definitely going to be on a flight. So they need to think about a seven hour flight, eight hour flight or whatever. So they need to think about the fact that they're going to be jet lagged and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I guess also another example is I was at a, I did a workshop last week that was about how to get hired for more speaking engagements. And I was struggling a little bit with what topic I should be um, the go-to speaker for and, or I want to be the go-to speaker for and what I, I will work towards to be able to do that. And I was thinking about, should I be like talking about London and going to conferences about London? Or should I be talking about YouTube marketing, or should I be talking about YouTube marketing for travel brands? So obviously there's like the first two that I mentioned were are quite broad. And then the last one's quite niche. So then I was trying to like answer, okay, what type of events are the people that I want to speak in front of? Like what type of events are they going to? And I was like, okay, well, let me think about London people, I guess it's like people who are going to London, but like, what type of events do they go to? Um, I don't really know. Like, I guess I'll have to do some research. Okay. Then I'm thinking about what type of events do YouTube people who are interested in YouTube marketing go to? I'm like, okay, well, I mean, I guess there's like maybe this one event and like this other one, but I'd have to do more research and kind of see. And then I thought about the third one, YouTube marketing for travel brands. And I'm like, okay, well, I know that anyone who's interested in that is going to be going to World Travel Market in November. They're going to go to ITB. They're going to go to this event, this event, this event. And they're struggling with this problem and this and this. And like, it it was just more clear and it was so much easier to know what they, what kind of struggles those type of people that I would be speaking to, what they need help with, and also where they're going to be, where I'm going to find them, what kind of information I can give them. Does that kind of make sense? 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's essentially understanding your buyer persona or your customer avatar. Like people call them different things, but knowing who you're talking to is so important. And, and that's actually one of the questions I had for you too, is I'm guessing the majority of your audience is outside of London. Um, I would imagine, right? Yep. So do you use your YouTube analytics to kind of help guide your decisions for future content or even just, you know, content strategy and email strategy? Um, How do you use analytics and how does that fall into everything? Oh my God. I love YouTube. It's It's so fun. I do too. Um, It's great. Oh, it's like, it's, I love it. I find it so interesting and I don't, I, I'm not a numbers person. I'm not particularly a charts person, but they, it's actually, I feel like it's quite easy to understand, but yes, I do. And I, at the beginning, didn't primarily focus on um, Americans, but I just noticed that the majority of the people who watch my videos are American. So I don't, I don't try to like discriminate from people who are coming to Europe from Europe or Australia or anything, but I noticed a lot of people that were watching were Americans already. And also I know that Americans have a certain set of challenges when they come over. And so from that, I, I, again, I don't, I don't disclude anyone who watches my videos, but I do everything with Americans in mind. Um, And that's like, so it it definitely affects my, content strategy and my scripting and everything really. Yeah, that's so cool. I I love YouTube analytics as well. And you touched on it earlier too of like watch time. Watch time is such an important metric and this the sessions, keeping people going and keeping people um, kind of binging your content. And there's so many great tools and little um, tidbits in the YouTube analytics. I mean, I could spend all day in there, but but I also think it's important that you have the human side too um, that's not totally numbers-based. So do you have any like go-to sources for inspiration for kind of the more creative sides of things or, you know, how, how do you feel like you are able to um, not just turn your channel into strictly like spouting off facts and actually make it fun and interesting too? I guess it comes from the fact that I interact with my audience every weekday. I take a break on the weekends, but um, I answer almost every comment uh, or at least heart it if it's not, if there's not anything to say, but I answer just about every comment that comes in every morning and to a point that kind of helps me to like, remember that it's about the human element. Yeah. I always say like, when we talk about social media, a lot of people forget the social part. Like it's about having conversations and um, it is really easy, especially when you're as busy as you are, I'm sure to, you know, not answer comments or to just push that off or even push it off to somebody else. I think it says something that you're actually doing it and you know you the creator is actually having that interaction because it does it helps it helps you understand what's working what isn't working um and also just have that connection and like keep keep your audience at the forefront because that's what it's all about right is you know interacting with them and making them happy and and understanding their pain points yeah exactly and i mean that's where i get a lot of my content ideas from is from people in the comments. And um, it's it's also really interesting because I have people that comment 
um, about certain topics. And I'm like, I have an entire video series about that. But the fact that you're not finding that is a problem. So it obviously means I need to redo that in some way so that um, it's better. And like, you know that that's there because I have like four videos about that and you're not finding any of them. So, or you're finding them and you're still asking me that question because I haven't answered it in the right way. Um, it's really interesting. And and like at the end of the day, it it's I it's hard. I think it's hard to like, I have, this is my opinion about when people are, are about comments and, and interacting with people. At the end of the day, you'd have to be getting like a thousand comments a day to at least not be going through the majority of them and answering them to justify you not answering, not interacting with people. Um, and it's, it's incredibly valuable because it, even back when I started and I had like 500 subscribers on the channel, I would have people that would comment and I would reply back. And I had like, only had like two comments come in that day. So it took me three seconds, but, and then people would come back after I commented and be like, oh my God, I can't believe you answered, you answered my comment. And I was like, oh, well, that, (laughs) (laughs) and, and still to this day, I get people that are just, like, um, not to be like, they're flattered that I respond to them. But (laughs) I think that like most creators, I know I comment on on videos of creators that don't have an incredibly big audience, and they never comment, they never reply or anything. And I'm like, but I've just said like this gushing thing about how much you've been helpful and and you lose the connection. But if so, if you're if you're connecting with them and do and engaging with them, that is it's hard to explain, but it, it, it's like a step towards them even more feeling like you're like their friend and they're going to feel more loyal to you because you're not just chucking out this content and like, then just uploading another one, another video next week and not like actually caring what people are saying. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And it really is like, your audience is kind of your own personal focus group. I mean, people pay to have that. You know, I've put together focus groups for for clients before of their ideal customers just to get them in a room and ask them questions. So I think a lot of people, um, you know, undervalue like how amazing it is that YouTube does allow that just direct communication and that you can ask questions. Hey, let me know down below if you want the, want me to make a video on this. Um, I mean, that's such a, such a valuable thing. So it's great to hear that you're taking advantage of it. Have you played around at all with the community features, the new community features on YouTube? A little bit. I have been posting um, some blog posts that I've put out, like and I did a launch a couple of weeks ago. So I, I've been, all the blog posts associated with that, or some of them I've been posting to the community tab. Um, it's kind of hard because there's no analytics on there. So I don't really know how many people are actually seeing it. And it's, I think it's only available on mobile. Um, I think it, they're starting to push it show them a little bit on desktop now and a little bit on um, tablet. But um, I did actually see, I I did a poll on there once and that I got a ton of engagement with and people seem to really enjoy that. There's potentially a series you might do in a few months and I want to use that poll feature again. And I know personally when I'm on the, on, I'm on the YouTube app, I, if it's like something that I'm interested in, I will also participate in polls. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'm interested to see what they're going to do with it because 
I'm kind of in the same place as you. Like I, I've played around with it a little bit. And as a viewer, if I see something really compelling come through, I might click on it, but I don't think it's 100% there yet. So I know they're working on it and I'm interested to see where it goes. So what other social channels or, you know, you talked about your email list, but how else are you getting people to your content, um, driving people either to, you know, your YouTube content or to like the business side of Love in London, doing the photo sessions and London guides and all that. How are you actually driving people? Are you using other social channels or ads or? I use Instagram a lot. And what I do is instead of trying to drive people to, sometimes I try to drive people to a YouTube channel or a YouTube video if it's a really important one or a big one, but I use it primarily as um, an email list builder. So I have, uh, in instead of like my website or my YouTube channel as the link in the profile, I have the link to the that free 101 guy that I was talking about, the lead magnet. So that way I can capture those people who are on my Instagram channel, but maybe are just kind of passive viewers. And then I know that those people that sign up to my email list are more invested in me and potentially could become customers. So I use it for that. And um, I do a little bit with Pinterest. It's I was something I want to do more this year. And so we got some traffic to uh, the articles on my website through Pinterest. And yeah, we do some blog content, but I, it's something I think I'm going to do more of this year. But yeah, YouTube is the the number one. I did a viewer survey at the end of the year and it was like, I think 95% of people said they found me through YouTube. So I don't put tons and tons of time into other things because I need to make sure I'm like optimizing YouTube because that's like a serious stat, like 95% of people found me through there, you know? Yeah, that's huge. That's amazing. I think a, a lot of people forget too that YouTube is the second biggest search engine on the web. So I mean, when I'm when I have a question about anything, honestly, a lot of the times I YouTube it before I Google it nowadays. So it, it's it's not surprising, but it's surprising at the same time because ninety five percent is is huge. Yeah, and that's no, that's a good point. I'm the same way. I pretty much always YouTube or I Google it on YouTube, <laughs> and <laughs> um, and <laughs> you'd also like. I think people people ask me a lot about um the demographics of people who use YouTube, but actually there's a lot of um, people that are, the majority of my audience is 25 to 34, but I also have a pretty significant viewership that are 35 and over and even like 55 and over. And they all, most of them find me through YouTube as well. I guess part of that is that my videos show up in Google search. So that's obviously like pretty great, but um, I think it's just, also kind of like a common misconception that people who are not youngins are not using YouTube, but actually they are. And you're right. Like you said, it's the second biggest search engine after Google and it is part of Google. So it's, they, they interlink as well. Yeah. That's so funny you say that. Cause for Christmas, I got my mom, um, a Chromebook and she, she hadn't had a computer ever before that. She's just like not interested. And I swear to you every day, she's like texting me, oh, so I saw on YouTube, you know, just like some random thing. She actually learned how to self-publish books on YouTube. And she's like, maybe I'll try it. I'm like, that's so cool. Like, you know, and she's a baby boomer. Like she, she is a, obviously a completely different generation than me, but I, yeah, everyone's using it. So yeah, I don't think people should limit themselves to, to not using it or at least not giving it a go. No, um, and good for her. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. I, I love it. 
<laughs> so y- you recently uploaded a bit of a behind the scenes look into creating your London guides, which I loved. I thought that video was so great. So can we talk a little bit more about those and you know, what exactly is a London guide and how would one go about getting one? And then um, how do they kind of incorporate into your overall channel strategy? So I have two travel guides right now, and um, both of them came out of the frustration of traditional travel guides. I didn't really like using them because I don't really like carrying books. I don't like carrying anything around when I'm traveling personally. And so I don't really like traditional travel books, travel guide books. And then on top of the weight, I also don't like, especially in cities like London and Paris that are quite spread out, that a travel guide, it doesn't, there's no interactive element and it doesn't tell you how far away something is. So you might be like on a whim, say you're at one museum and you're like, oh, we don't actually have anything planned for lunch. Let's look in the guidebook and see where we want to go. And then you find this great listing that sounds awesome. And it says it's in this area. And then you take out your phone and you plug it into Google maps. And like, I mean, you know, you've been to London, it could be like 40 minutes away on the tube and you're like, oh, but I'm hungry now. And I don't really want to wait to get all the way over there, but now I have to find another thing. So, um, those were born out of my frustration for that. So the two travel guides, um, one is a three-day itinerary. So it maps out everything for you to do in the first three days that you're in London. And then one is a, it's called the local guide to London. And it's essentially a curated list of great places to eat and drink and also things to do and see that a local recommends while you're in the city, but it covers um, the majority of central London. So those two travel guides are a huge part of my business and they are the majority of the revenue that I make is through those those two travel guides. And um, I kind of forgot what your original question was. No, (laughs) no, I know. It was kind of a loaded question. So sorry. (laughs) But no, I think that answers it. But um, yeah, I guess my, my other question was just how they sort of incorporate into your overall channel strategy, which I feel like we sort of touched on with the email list and all of that. But how do you actually, I guess, sell those to your audience without being too salesy, you know? So, okay. Yeah, that's a good question. So the the guides essentially are helping a problem that somebody might have. So a lot of people, as I kind of touched on, like, London is massive and it's incredibly overwhelming to try to research for yourself and plan out your first few days in the city and like, no, this area is close to this area. So realistically, we can put these two together and um, do that in one day, but also we need to find restaurants in the area and this and that. So it's, it's not... Talking about a product that you sell is not going to come across sleazy or salesy if it's providing help for something that people genuinely need help with. So it, especially like my audience, most of them are working full-time jobs and it's actually incredibly time consuming for them to plan out an itinerary themselves. So this pre-made itinerary solves the problem for them and they've saved themselves a ton of hours that they would have had to spend that they didn't have to plan out their trip. So it's it's not salesy when it's actually helping people. And the same thing with the other guide. There, you know, people are going to be coming for a week and 
everybody has questions about, well, what about this restaurant? Like, I need a place to go here. I need the thing to do here. And it's impossible for me to answer all of them. And also, I don't know what your situation is, what kind of food you like, things in that. So this other travel guide also provides all that information to them. And it's comes in a digital map so they can just pull out their phone wherever they are and they can see whatever is around them that is close to them that I recommend that I know that they're going to have a good time if they go to. So as long as you're always providing something that people actually need, then it's fine. I mean, you're always, you're always going to get the person who's like, oh my God, you're charging for this, this and that, blah, 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 especially in travel. But as long as it's different and it is helpful and you are solving something for them, then it's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really just about standing behind your product and, and I think it's a great product. It's really smart because I mean, I know I, when, when I travel, I like to kind of do things by myself. Like I don't like to do tour groups and things like that. Um, so I think it's a great way to get the, the expert, uh, kind of opinion and directions without having to necessarily stick behind with a group. You can still kind of do it on your own, but you have that expert insight, which is really nice. And and when somebody's traveling, I mean, when you're planning a trip, especially if you're going from the US to London, I mean, that's a big trip. You're already planning on spending quite a bit of money. So I think it it's something that a lot of people probably wouldn't think twice about since you're already going to have to kind of spend some type of money on getting a guide or or some kind of help there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think also going back to the email list, the people that are on your email list and that stay on your email list are the people that are most invested in you and your brand. So the majority of my selling is done on email. It's not done in my videos. Um, I do a little bit on social media and I do do a little bit in my videos, but the majority of the selling comes from my email list and the majority of my sales come from my email list. And people are used, I think they're maybe a little bit more used to that if they see things coming through in email. So I think if you feel like maybe you're feeling like funny about selling things, start with email. You're going to get in front of them without getting in front of people that don't actually want you in front of them. Does that make sense? Because everybody who's on your email list signed up to your email list. So they want to hear from you. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, you know, I think YouTube, it's, it's such a it's such a unique platform and it, it is people expect things to be free because YouTube is free. So I, I love that you have this, it is a really unique approach because you're not just, hey, link in description. I mean, I'm sure they're there too, but like you said, the majority of your sales are coming from email, which I think a lot of people forget about. I think that's that's my key takeaway is don't forget about email and don't forget about kind of the more traditional methods of business too. I think that's really smart. So, <laughs> so um, can we talk a little bit about scaling your business too? Because you have a lot of things going on. You have YouTube and podcasts and the guides and the photo sessions, and I'm probably missing things, but (laughs) that's amazing. But I'm guessing that there's just not enough hours in the day for you to do everything solo. How did you make that decision to, you know, bring other people onto your team, whether it's photographers or assistants or anything like that? Well, I decided to start to bring people on when I realized that I was just doing all of like the minutia of the business that still needed to be, it didn't need to be done, but it was 
not going to be propelling the rest of my business forward. So for example, this the selling of the guides, there's customer service that goes along with that because people, their the email that has the link to the guide gets sent to their spam and then they, they um, don't know where it is. And um, the booking, the, the photography sessions is incredibly time intensive. So when I was spending a lot of time on all that stuff and I couldn't figure out like, I couldn't really look into the future very much because I didn't have very much time to do it was when I decided to bring, start bringing people on. Um, so that specific, I guess, is when I brought on my assistant. So she handles all of the customer service and she handles all of the bookings for the photo sessions. And I don't know what I'd do with that. Or honestly, she's incredible and she's so helpful. And she just lets me go through like the day to day she lets me get out of the day today, actually, of the business. And she focuses on all of that. So I have a videographer and I've kind of like bounced back and forth with having somebody who was helping me edit for a bit. And then I took it back and I was doing it myself. And then I had one other person that was filming and editing and then that didn't work out. And then I was kind of like, uh, um, but at the end of the day, what I did, when I decided I really did need to have, um, a videographer and an editor helping me was when I needed, I knew that my videos were starting to get stale and I needed somebody that knew a lot more about video than I did to be able to change that. So, um, going back to analytics, I was saying that people weren't really watching my videos as much as they used to. And the, my subscriber count was growing, but not necessarily the views. Uh, I mean, they, I guess in the grand scheme they were, but just thinking about when people, they weren't really clicking when they first came out. And obviously in the long term, that's going to, that would have hurt my channel. So I needed someone who's better at video than me that can make, make the videos just a lot snappier, can film me around London, can deal with all of the elements when we're out and about filming and can also take that editing time away from me and do it themselves and do it better than I would have done it. And, um, I'm not really sure exactly when I made that decision, but when I did, and when I made that change, like I could never go back. It's been, um, very helpful. Yeah. It's been like so great. Yeah. Oh gosh. Isn't it amazing how much time you spend editing and filming now that you have that time back? I'm sure it's just amazing. How did you get started by the way with video? Like, did you just teach yourself or do you have a background in it? I have a background in social media, but I didn't really do anything with video. So I just started learning. So um, I remember like, I'll never forget this. And she's a friend of mine now. So I'm like, I love it because she's my girl crush. But there's a woman called Amy Landino and she used to be Amy Schmidt-Tower, but she got married. And I remember when I first wanted to start doing YouTube videos, I like took a Saturday night, sat on my sofa and binged um, – her, she had like a playlist that was how to get started on YouTube. And I just watched, it was like 10 videos in a row and learned all the stuff I needed to get myself going. And so essentially like long story short, I used that and then videos on YouTube about how to be great on YouTube to teach myself everything that I needed to know. And even like YouTube has a creator Academy online. That's totally free. I use that. I go, we have a YouTube space in London. So I've gone to trainings here and that's been really helpful too. But I've just, I've just taught myself everything along the way, really. That's so cool. Yeah. I love Amy. I started watching her 
way back the old school YouTube days. So <laughs> she's great. She's so smart. And I love what she's done with her business too. Cool. So um, yeah, I think that's a great point about bringing people on who can be a little bit better than you. I think sometimes we get scared of that. Like we want to be amazing at everything, but it's just not realistic. And it's a lot of work, you know, like give yourself a break. Yeah, exactly. I think where it's a little less scary. It's good to get the foundations. Like, so I know how to edit videos. So if I need to do a, something really quick like, as a filler, if we've messed something up and, and I need to put something out next week and I can do like a Q and a, I know how to do, I can do that myself. And I also know what I'm looking for when I'm hiring someone, but you're right. Like having, having somebody who can do it better than you can do it. It's going to help to propel your business forward, but you also need to know the fundamentals. So I think like the same thing can go for when people start to dive into doing like, um, Facebook advertising, you really need to, instead of just hiring an agency and letting them handle everything, like you should actually know what you should be looking for in terms of what they should be looking at and what kind of like KPIs and like what kind of questions should they be asking you about your business? And if you can have at least like a, the fundamentals, it will help you to hire better people and also yeah, and just it will just help you to hire better people and just be a better hirer in general. Yeah, that's such great advice. Okay, we're reaching the end of the interview, but before we part ways, I want to take a couple of minutes for some of the fun stuff, if you don't mind. (laughs) So can you (laughs) let me know, what are some of your best tips? If you had to give, you know, two or three tips for travelers looking to visit London for the first time, what would you say? I would say to, okay, so this is going to be controversial, but don't spend too much time with the main attractions. And also if someone's telling you to go do something, but it doesn't sound very interesting to you, even if 10 people tell you, you have to go to this museum, but you don't like museums, don't go to the museum. That's like the number one thing. I hate when people are like, you have to go to this, you have to go to this, you have to go to this. And then you go and you're like, but I actually hate museums. Like, why have I decided to do this? So that's totally okay. And if you, if same thing, like if you don't want to go to Buckingham Palace, don't go to Buckingham Palace. I know most people do, but know what you want to do and don't feel like you have to do the things that people have said you have to do. That's why I'll never be like, everybody has to do this and you must do this. You can't, you haven't come to London if you don't do this. I will never, ever say that because it's like, I would never dictate somebody's um, plans that way. I also would recommend um, just like branching away from the actual center of London. And the best way to do that is staying a little bit outside of the center. So there's areas like Notting Hill, um, Kensington. And then also if we want to go east, there's places like Shoreditch and Hoxton that you can stay in. And they're not in like the hustle and bustle of the main part of London, but you're going to get like a much more local experience there because people actually live there. Like normal people don't actually live in the center of London because it's way too expensive. So staying like outside of that main center is a great way to experience that more local side. Um, Also, if you haven't picked what time of year to come, there's not really a best time of year, in in my opinion, because each, each month has its own pros and cons. So for example, London in the summer is incredible. 
it's like so buzzy. All the locals are just get outside as much as possible whenever it's a nice day. And it doesn't usually get too, too hot here. So you're not, and it shouldn't be like super uncomfortable. And it's also light till like 10 o'clock at night. It's like amazing. But it's also the most expensive time to visit besides Christmas. So if you were to come, say, in January, if you can stand the cold, then you're going to get the cheapest prices. You will have to wait in no lines and you will have a much easier time getting reservations at restaurants and things like that. So just weigh up what you want, what's more important to you. Would you rather that? You get um, cheaper deals on the hotels and everything else, but deal with the cold, or would you rather that it be nice and warm, but you're going to deal with more crowds and higher prices? Love it. And I have a fourth tip, and that's um, get one of your guides. (laughs) Oh, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Talk about not selling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll definitely have those. I'll have all of your links, of course, in the show notes. But yeah, that, that was great advice. I stayed in Kensington when I went and I loved it. It was amazing. It was like so walkable, so beautiful. We were there in April, so perfect weather, which we were a little nervous about because we're like, oh my gosh, this is going to be rainy and cold, but it turned out to be perfect. So cool. Very good. Oh, perfect. Well, those are all of the questions that I have for you. But before we go, do you want to let the listeners know where they can find you and grab your guides and watch your videos? Yes. So everything's on loveandlondon.com or you can search for us on YouTube at just Love and London and we'll pop up. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jess, for coming on. I seriously feel like I learned so much. So I know that my listeners are going to as well. And uh, I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And that's it for this episode of the Freelance Friday podcast. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, make sure to let me know. Rating this podcast is a huge help. And you can also tweet me at a journey east with comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes. Lastly, make sure to join my private Facebook group, Money Making Micro Influencer, if you're interested in elevating your influence and taking charge of your personal brand. There are so many like-minded, bright individuals in there, and it's a place I love to offer up free advice and a little bit of extra fun into. You can find it by searching Facebook for Money Making Micro Influencer. It'll also be linked in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. 